0: welcome everyone to the roost podcast i am your host Sean pitcher today our guest is samantha drake she is a rd which is a registered dietitian and a chef she's the co-founder of performance chef and then she also has a private practice as well samantha super excited to have you on welcome to the roost podcast
1: excited to be here thanks for inviting me sean
0: um like we start with every single guest uh First question i want to ask you is who is samantha like what is your roots behind be behind the rd chef title that you have
1: well um i have a unique background as a second career uh, dietitian uh, so i grew up around a lot of grandparents and food being loved so i was always loving food and never really thought it would be my career so i think that mindset of food is love and positive relationships with food was always super great. Um, I loved people and talking to people. So I naturally fell into customer service and sales. And it was through that uh, that I eventually met my former boss and mentor who was like, you love food. You're interested in nutrition and fitness. And like, I really think this new and upcoming path that is the performance dietitian and chef would be an amazing opportunity and you would really succeed in this sports nutrition field uh, wasn't too sure about it you know I was doing pretty well happy with where I was at but I was not too sure kind of doing some life changes reevaluation over a few years of staying in contact uh, with him and figuring out maybe I want to give this a try so it was probably a good five years later so it was five years of oh, check ins five years of talking I'm like what are you up to you think maybe this would be a good time so I finally pulled the trigger, decided to go back to school. And I was fortunate that the program I looked into, I didn't look at a single other program. Uh, I was close enough. I was within 45 minutes of Johnson & Wales University, the Denver campus, and they had a dual degree. That was the performance dietitian track, as well as the culinary nutrition. So it was all in one program. Never looked at any other program, just decided, all right, let's do this.
0: Yeah, if anyone knows about If anyone knows about Johnson and Wales, that's kind of like the go-to spot. You know, whenever you hear a lot of these like performance chefs come out of, like, oh, where'd you go to? Oh, went to Wu. They have a dual, kind of a dual option that you can go with sports nutrition and culinary. I'm like, oh, that's pretty impressive because, I mean, you could tell me, I don't, I don't know, is how many other schools really have kind of that combined option that you can you can do.
1: They're the main one that has the full four-year degree with that and the emphasis of you get a classic culinary. Degree associates, and then your final two years while you're in your like nutrition labs, your medical nutrition therapy classes, you're doing an extra set of culinary nutrition labs that are specific to performance nutrition, athletic performance cuisine, spa cuisine, designing healthy desserts. You do food chemistry and food science. So you're really delving deep into all the things that you would do in your um, case studies. We actually had to put case studies and do all of that, but then put them on a plate. So it's really- well, that'd interesting. <laughs> you really have yeah.
0: to be able to demonstrate and, and, and uh, express yourself in a whole different way than probably you were, you were used to.
1: Exactly. So it was a very unique pathway. I've seen other schools that have additions of that, but it's never the full, like you are a classically trained chef plus these extra labs and um, opportunities. So I think uh, SLU- University has a culinary emphasis in their graduate program, but it's not the full like four years of culinary included with it. And there are other schools that have smaller and similar programs, but it's not to the extent that j is. So,
0: so then what is the difference between your everyday chef, right? If I go to, I don't know, Longhorn Steakhouse, my chef that cooks up my steak first, someone who's then essentially a performance chef, like what, what makes the difference between those two types of chefs?
1: Uh, performance chef versus a traditional chef. Um, performance chefs are traditional chefs, So they have, they typically have the same background where you're learning your traditional French cuisine. So you're focused on flavor and taste and texture, not really nutrient density performance and function of a meal. So a chef's going to be like, I'm going to use butter and cream and I'm going to make it pretty and taste delicious and rich and have that balance of flavor, which is wonderful and important and a great start to then having a performance chef who takes all of that information, all of that background, and then puts that into a performance plate. So you have an athlete with any disease states, allergens, um, there you have to change up, oh, do I need substitutions? Do I need to avoid certain foods? Things like that go into play, but also, Uh, nutrient timing. So you're going to work closely with a dietitian. If you're not a culinary dietitian or a sports dietitian and chef, you're going to work side by side with your performance dietitian. And they'll give you parameters of, I have an athlete that is trying to gain muscle. I want them to eat these macros at these times. And so a performance chef can put that on the plate, but also with our backgrounds, we can actually go to the athlete and say, what do you want to eat? And we're going to make it taste wonderful Mm -hmm. and fit the parameters that the dietitian has set forth. So we're going to have that beautiful, flavorful food that fits into those functional parameters.
0: Now, how do you do that on a large scale, right? You know, a lot of these organizations, whether it's pro collegiate, you know, maybe even sometimes in the the high school setting, like to be able to have that individual service with hundreds of athletes, like how do you make that function and and apply that like in a real life setting, like in a kitchen or in a, a fueling station? For example,
1: I think the number one thing is communication. So my background, I was at the university of Nebraska at Lincoln for about four years, working with, uh, over about 24 athletes, uh, 24 sports, um, and athletes ranging from rifle all the way to football. So having that communication and we did notice a lot of the food trends were similar to that of the general population with vegan and vegetarian, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, pescetarians, things like that. So having to have different options available at all the time, and then looking at practice schedules based on, you know, weight restrictive sports, you got to have some of those staples like a grilled chicken breast available at lunch every day, Mm -hmm. having pasta more at dinner, and then realizing on certain days, Oh, we might need to add that at lunch or cross country that need a little bit of extra carbs. So really communication working within the, parameters, dietitians set forth and just being open to trying new things. And I think just following that has, is able to do that in a collegiate setting because you're not going to please everyone, but you can try.
0: No, that's, that's probably one of the toughest, the toughest things. And especially too, with how many athletes obviously are in this fast paced environment. A lot of them are ordering out Uber eats, you know, having this fast paced lifestyle. And sometimes like that's all they know. And then trying to integrate them and get them to know like there's other options out there you know this is what you probably did in your last environment this may be that's what you're used to right now but like there's there's so many other things you could do to include to provide more variety right so then hopefully you're putting yourself in a position to get the amount of calories and nutrients and micronutrients that you need which at times can be super challenging even if some kids are eating a lot of calories and eating a lot of food sometimes they're not getting enough
1: exactly So uh, we worked on a three-step program. We would like them to get step one foods, which are immune boosting, fresh fruits and vegetables to keep them healthy. Step two was energy-rich carbohydrates and um, step three was protein for that muscle building recovery. So we were talking to them about what steps they're missing on their plates Mm -hmm. and to encourage them to come into our training table and fuel with us, as opposed to doing a lot of those drive-throughs, we would have some of those favorite options. We had a pressure fryer, which absorbed less of the oil we had, you know, quesadillas and tacos and all the things that you're looking for. Uh, We actually made cane sauce and Chick-fil-A sauce (laughs) imitations um, so that they're getting that same experience. But while they're coming in to grab those chicken nuggets or those tacos, they're going to see that fresh fruit, those vegetables and other options. So they're going to get all of those in addition to that food item they're craving versus just a French fry and a Coke.
0: Yeah. Exposing their environment. You know, it's like, Eventually they're going to like one of those fruits or one of those vegetables, or maybe it's a smoothie or maybe you get them to do a fresh squeezed uh, juice or something like that. Like it's, it's taking those little baby steps and, and meeting the athletes halfway. Sometimes you may not be able to get a, a 360 turnover in, in a month or so. It might take you, you know, some athletes over a year to make those decisions and, and make it feel important to them. But you know, the more that it's available, wherever they're going to be in the facility, you know, you have a lot higher chance, I'm, I'm sure, as you can probably attest to, um, to get to know, hopefully adjust and, and do those things. But absolutely. One of the things I really liked um, is I've seen pictures of Nebraska. I've seen pictures of, you know, their, their fueling station, their training tables. And I mean, for what I know, and you, you could tell me, like, it looks like it's one of the biggest fueling stations in the country, not only just you guys make, you guys were making food and serving to them, but also having those interactive options where a lot of athletes can then be self-sufficient and have those um, food skills and behaviors where they can start cooking things on their own on a regular basis. Can you kind of speak about that a little bit?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think those life skills are super important. So a lot of our student athletes would come in and they may never have seen a fresh pineapple. They've only seen those little fruit cups or, you know, they've never had anything, uh, done from scratch. And so uh, the dietitians I worked under uh, were really emphasizing emphasizing those skills. And so we had stations where they could cook their own um, eggs in the morning. Uh, at lunch, they could do their own stir fry. And at dinner, it was their own pasta uh, bar. So we really started, everything was cooked for them. So it was more of them like going through pasta the motions and learning Yeah. And then like they could build their own smoothies and we would have step-by-step instructions and really be helping them with those and a deli bar station, you know, so they could make a sandwich to go if they needed an extra snack or that's what they wanted. So having those do-it-yourself stations was slow baby steps almost to getting them to have those life skills on their own at home. And then they would start coming in. Oh, look what I made at home now because I got used to this. And I feel comfortable with these skill sets. And um, cooking classes, we're utilizing those stations within the teams as well.
0: And, and it was like when I was I was talking to Anthony Zamora, who's another chef RD, as you know from the from Utah Jazz, and we were just talking about like these are behaviors. Like that if these kids pick them up now, like they're going to use them for their entire life. For while they're an athlete with their own families, their wife, their kids, or vice versa, um, it, you know. You can't stop eating. You're never going to stop eating. So the more the more skills we can teach them to be self sufficient, the better off we're going to be. And that web will spread to hopefully other people too. And you know, try to reduce them eating out all the time because at the end of the day, it's just costing more money anyway. So you know, trying to get them to save some money, and cook some stuff that they know that they actually made and where it's coming from versus you don't know where, where it's coming from from some of these fast food places.
1: Exactly, and the athletes really appreciate that. Little extra information. And some of them would ask for my number, for their chef's numbers, like, hey, if I have a question at home, would you be willing to talk me through it? Things like that. So, really having that open communication and emphasizing the importance of being open with the student athletes on what they were looking to do with those future life skills, because it's going to help them in the future.
0: Absolutely. Um, and, so you, and you were mentioning too when we were offline, like um, you were a 50 50. So I'm guessing that's 50% chef, 50% RD. So how does that work being in the kitchen 50% of the time and then having being a dietitian for specific teams for 50% of the time? Like how does that work cohesively?
1: It was a very big challenge. Um, I did have a um, full-time culinary role as well as team responsibilities. So I was early morning. So I would get to the training table very early in the morning and handle breakfast and lunch, cleanup. Uh, while doing that, talking to my athletes at their leisure in the morning. So I would do counseling sessions at a, like a quick moment in a time that I had time to kind of break away from a little break in service and discuss with them. I was plate coaching with them throughout service, uh, just helping any of the coaches or athletes uh, in that capacity in the training table. And then when I was done at the training table, then I would pop over to our practice facilities, restock all their snacks, make sure they didn't need anything, talk to the coaches. I would schedule meetings with my athletes uh, after practices. Actually one of the non-traditional methods that I really enjoyed and um, came up with was once a week I would have dinner and I would sit down at the training table with my athletes. And it was kind of like an open office hours where they could ask me questions it really broke those barriers down. And I think that was, it was difficult because a lot of people assume you're in the kitchen, you're a chef, you're only there for that. So having to really make time and separate, like bringing changes of clothes, like changing out. So I looked different different. than just a chef in the morning was important to that. And so the more I did it at first, they were like, what are you doing here? And now (laughs) by the end of it, they were can you come to dinner like two or three times a week? We'd loved it. And, you know, sometimes we would talk about a new pre workout. They were like, what about this? Or a TV show or hair. But ultimately, it opened that door and it broke down the barrier for the girls to finally prioritize performance nutrition on the road um, with me at training table, answer questions. And I started really working with about 80% of my team. Um, on a very close scale counseling monitoring and i treated them like traditional athletes so i was customizing their ntp and going full on to that for them
0: yeah i mean just having that general human interaction that doesn't have to even talk about even sometimes like not even talking about nutrition right like you said talking about your hair talking about other things outside of there like not having the nutrition let's say chef garb or or typical clothes they always see you in like it's always funny, you know, you might go on the town and they see you outside of the facility because they only see you in the facility and it's like a shock to them. They're like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Like, why are you outside of here? Like, I didn't think you did anything, but I obviously work like at Nebraska, like in the fueling station area. <laughs> so, you know, just getting out and being around them in their environment, I, you know, even myself, I can attest to that. Like I found it makes a huge difference. And when you're not there and you don't show up, like you said, right? Like, oh man, can you come two or three times or. I'm sure if there's once or twice where maybe you couldn't make it to something, the first thing they're always going to like bust your chops about is like, well, I didn't see you the other day and typically you're always here and you always stop by and say hi to us. And then like, you just know that you're at that point then where like the trust and the, and the relationships have been built. And then when you need to have those tough and challenging conversations or they ha- they're they comfortable with asking you kind of whatever question you want, because you've you've taken the extra steps and the time to get yourself to that point.
1: Yes, absolutely, and I tried to travel at least once a year with both of my teams, just so they, I would have that experience, understanding what they went through, what the challenges were, what they needed, and it was very interesting, and I think that helped me to be like, okay, do you have enough snacks, did you pack this, make sure you're hydrated, uh, on a different level, because I understood it, I saw it, and I was there for them.
0: Yeah, a lot of times, if, if you've, if you're a dietitian, listen to this, if you, you've never traveled with a team, um, every travel experience to every state and every stadium and arena or whatever it is, every situation's different. So, um, you may have hotels and places where you have everything and anything you can need and they're very generous and they'll give you what you want. And you have other places where you're having to makeshift stuff, you know, like our athletic trainers had to go to a gym this year and they had to use a forklift, um, as their way to tape our guy's ankles. So, <laughs> cause, cause that was all that was available. There was no table available for us to do that. So they had to figure out like, here's my environment. Here's what I can do. I got to get this task done to make sure the athletes are prepped and prepared. And like, it is what it is. Um, so you got to be flexible and you got to be able to know how to do stuff on the fly based on kind of what's, what's thrown at you at times.
1: Absolutely. I learned that with casinos in Vegas is where we had some of our competitions. And so having to navigate that was very interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, let's, let's kind of go into a little bit more about the performance chef. I know it's, it's a website, you have an Instagram, um, you know, I've, I've gotten some background on it where it's, 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 developing a space essentially for performance chefs to kind of gather and learn and discuss and, and just grow the field in general. Um, I know chef RDs is a performance chef. Sometimes we, we say they're kind of the unicorns in, in nutrition, they're kind of hard to find. And when you find one, you better hold on to them because you never know if you're going to find one again. But can you kind of explain to us what this group is and, and what your guys' goal are and what are you doing with it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, my co-founder is Jessica Blatchley. She is the executive chef for the uh, New York Jets. And we both went to JWU through the Culinary Nutrition Dietetic Program. Um, I went on to get my RD. She has not yet, but I believe She will at some point. And our biggest thought for this group was to forward this profession. The performance chef role has been up and coming over the last several years. It's been critical in a lot of professional teams as well as collegiate. And so that idea of us both experiencing the rapid growth and being called on a smaller scale for potential positions Individually, we saw such a need and we were thinking, what are we gonna do? Because there is no group that specifically caters to chef needs, performance chefs in this space. There's no resources, there's no network. So we only knew each other by, because we went through the same programs. It's a smaller community. And we decided to hop on a call. And we had, I believe other collegiate at the time, NBA, MLB, NFL, chefs on there that were performance chefs, one other Chef RD. And we just had a wonderful collaborative call and we decided there's something here. We really, you know, sharing best practices, recipes to really where to find talent. How are we going to foster this growth for this talent and this field in a positive way? Um, Chefs get a bad rap because some of them have ego. So we really want that to be a positive, you know, pay it forward kind of opportunity for up and coming performance chefs, um, chef RDs that wanna go down that track. Um, So we wanna have everything from network to resources, to recipes, to courses, potentially certifications down the line. There's so much that's available right now. Uh, We did a soft launch because we both had full-time jobs at the time of really trying to build this but also not overwhelm ourselves. And we had chefs from all over the globe reach out to us. Some with big names that we were not anticipating. We're super excited to see that this space is finally getting a resource and a tool for that.
0: what Why do you think there's this huge I mean, I, got, I know you said several years. Why do you think there's been this big burst of want and need for the performance chef?
1: I think when it comes to nutrition, there's always been diet fads and trends over the years. And I think, in more recent years, health conscious athletes have started to voice their opinions of wanting to eat cleaner or have more balanced opportunities and things like that. So I think when you've had celebrities that have had that, or, you know, athletes that are voicing that concern or that want for that type of service, then that's bringing light to something that's, oh, it's been there on a smaller scale all along, but now it's being brought open to light. And so from collegiate to professional sports worldwide there you know from we got major league soccer NFL NBA um, uh, MLB you've got everything going on there that they're like slowly some of them have chefs on their own already some are wanting to build that and the amount of calls that she and I both get to help either find talent if we're interested or to really develop that and see what that could look like.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's super exciting on your guys. And probably coming from the very small amount of people and maybe the few, you know, sports IDs or or performance chefs that you know, to now to like, everyone's trying to incorporate something at some capacity. Um, It's kind of like a night and day difference. It seems like that with a lot of different uh, professions as well, right? Like obviously mental health, sports psychology, that's another one where you see is exploding. Sports science is also becoming big as well too, right? If you're not Um, you know, testing, you're just kind of guessing on what's going on with the athlete, what's going on behind the scenes. Um, So, you know, the more of these professionals that we have in the athlete's corner to kind of give them that 360 degrees of care, then hopefully the better position that we're providing them or as they progress throughout their collegiate career, or maybe it's even giving them a better opportunity to then optimize their potential to get to the higher levels that they wouldn't have had if they didn't have these certain staff members. So super exciting.
1: Yeah, it's really great. And interdisciplinary teams are super critical and important. Uh, I think staying in your lane has kept me out of trouble. I think staying within my scope of practice, advocating for those other services. And I've even actually sat in on a few athletes uh, meetings with other practitioners and interdisciplinary teams. And I think that helps build the relationship and trust.
0: Yeah. And then And that's something I had did in my previous employer, IMG Academy. I would sit in on a mental conditioning session or a leadership session or, you know, sit in the athletic training with the athletic trainer while they're, you know, working with an athlete. It just, it helps too. And, you know, let's say the, you know, mental, mental conditioning coach is talking to the whole entire group, but then they see the dietitians over here in the corner, like supporting him or her at the same time. So it's like, all right, these are two people that are on my team that they're supporting one another in the group. I always see them talking to each other. Maybe they're collaboratively working together to try to just help specifically me, or specifically help our position group or our team in general. Um, and that that provides a lot of power and support, you know, as a as a collective team to know that I have all these professionals. They're all trying to work together um, for an overall goal, which is helping me or or help this team get to hopefully a higher level or higher standard.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so one word I want to touch on there, you said advocate. So, you know, what advice would you give to dietitians or, or those who are in position to add a performance chef or add a fueling station, a culinary department? Um, what advice would you give to them or, or what are some maybe some basic steps that they could take um, to start having those conversations?
1: I think uh, that is a very relevant topic. A lot of programs either don't have a budget are smaller or are just not happy with the current state of their operations uh, due to athlete complaints, performance, any of those opportunities. And I think you really have to evaluate where your current program is at and what you are currently providing and do your due diligence. What is that providing? Is it not benefiting the athletes to the level that it could? and take a program that's a similar size to you and really kind of um, evaluate it against each other, kind of compare and contrast first and foremost to see, is that feasible within our budget? Is that feasible within what the athletes are looking to have us provide? And if not, where do you start? So it's never gonna be, oh, the school has this, we want this overnight, right? right? You have to start with baby steps. If you're not providing chocolate milk, if you're not providing cheese sticks, like those are small things, let's add this into there. So it can be something as simple as adding a food option um, to that and if you don't have a chef or a program that has that, how does the addition of that help in that case? Do you have a space to have them be? Are they gonna be working out of a fueling station? What can they feasibly provide at that fueling station? Are you looking for just smoothies, nutrient dense smoothies, fruit cups, uh, yogurt parfaits which are all great additions is that something that you can start with and say we can start here and then build upon that if you're building a new facility then the chef can move over to there and provide one two three meals a day with snack options really you know and I've had the pleasure of looking at a lot of different facilities and programs and seeing they're all in different spaces and what that started as and um, talking to dietitians who have had to go through this process being in a smaller sport so from where they started to where they ended at that program how far they've come
0: do you do you see your 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 performance chef group even having a space where you know let's say the school or high school or college like doesn't even have a dietitian and maybe you have to educate a strength coach or a sports medicine staff um and and maybe that's going to be your your next person you connect with because maybe they're not even going to hire a sports dietitian do you feel like they need to have the sports dietitian or the chef or so adding some of those f- fueling pieces would work or it doesn't matter what the situation is. Like if you have the opportunity and there is budget and there is some, some buy-in to it, let's work with whoever's there and available in the staff to, to do something like that.
1: I think it depends on the personnel that's in place there because you may have some that don't want to have something overstepped and you want to work with the program with where they're at. Because once you start with where they're at, you can build upon that, whether that's advocating for adding a performance dietitian or a performance chef or a performance dietitian chef in the future, uh, you got to start with where they're at. So I think you have those strength coaches that want to handle nutrition as well, or athletic medicine and coaches who want to handle all of that. That's not the scope of practice, but you don't want to come in guns blazing, then right. this is need to do so really finding that balance and meeting them where they're at compromising to uh, put a plan in place to build for the future uh, whether they're there or not so with you not being here in the future depending on you know some coaches retire things like that okay well what's that next generation going to look like what do you want to see this program look like in the future how is it going to grow and develop that's going to be better these are the trends with athletes and performance Mm -hmm.
0: do you you know, it's kind of, a little bit off topic, but do you see like you, utilizing social media in your space has been super beneficial for you guys since most of the, you said generation, the next generation is kind of going through that as kind of their main way to absorb and obtain information versus maybe in the past where we would do handouts and PowerPoints and stuff that maybe just not be applicable to the athletes coming up. They want to try to be educated and learn it and know stuff in a different format.
1: Absolutely. I think in my time at Nebraska in a collegiate setting, uh, social media was a huge factor in how uh, they would learn and retain information. I think more often than not, when they were asking a question, they would send me a TikTok or an Instagram post of what about this item? Is this safe? Can we try this? Can you make this? Because they're seeing that and that's what they're seeing as an evolution. So utilizing social media uh, in addition to the resources. So, I think putting some of the resources, it's good to see it in both ways because they may want to have something to revert back to and they may not have saved it. But, oh, here's this handout. Like, here you go.
0: I'm sure QR codes have been big.
1: <laughs> it's because yes. no so, one wants to carry
0: anything. It's just like, oh, scan the QR code. You have it in your phone now, save it in your phone or take a picture of it. All right, make a nutrition folder and save that in your, your pictures for nutrition specifically. And you can't tell me you don't have it because you can always go back to. text I sent you or the picture you sent or whatever it was.
1: Absolutely. Pictures of plates are an awesome thing that I would get sent pretty much daily. If I didn't see them, they look at my plate, you know, if they wanted to stick with their uh, goals and then their parameters. So I think just modifying, and I did not grow up in that generation. So for me, it's been quite the learning curve to up my skills and Uh, support them through that because that's another way that they feel validated is through their social media so I think supporting them through that is important as well
0: yeah I even got to the stage now where I do you know when I do my first like initial assess like we're fortunate we only have 32 guys so I can do a one-on-one assessment on every single kid and then do reassessments every let's say three to four months based on kind of where they are but um, that, that's one of the like, questions I asked, like, how do you want to be communicated? Is it text? Is it social media? Is it a FaceTime call? Is it a phone call? Is it, you, you get so many messages and blown up on your phone that you don't look at your phone and you got 1200 messages. So you'd rather me just pull you to the side and have a face to face conversation, um, just to try to get ahead of it. Cause now it's like, I'm almost in a position where I'll communicate with athletes via text and ah, I didn't see it. Because I'm getting hit up by recruit recruiting, or I'm getting hit up by this person, that person. And then now it's just like the top 10% people that are a priority are the people they're messaging. And then whatever you send them is just getting flushed to the to the back end. So like I asked that ahead of time because I'm like, I'm gonna need to text you a lot this year, or I'm gonna need to communicate with you a lot this year. And I need to understand like how you work. And if if I don't if I can't understand you, then probably this relationship we're gonna have. either going to be really frustrating or really challenging, or I'm not going to be able to help you at the capacity that I essentially could.
1: 100%. I also like to ask them how they learn best. Are they visual? Do they need it written down? Do they want to be doing something? So whether food models or, you know, demos are the best way for them. So I think that's another aspect to that. Like how do you want to be communicated with, but also how do they learn best?
0: Yeah, I've done that too. Or like you said earlier, like just, Getting away from these tracking apps and just take a picture of your plate, you know, like your plate can tell you a thousand, a thousand things what's going on. You know, I can give you a lot of suggestions and how it should look. And then now if you're visually starting to recognize how your plate looks based on your needs and your sport and how active you are and what season you're in right now, like you're able to visually then make those manipulations and changes. And, and, you know, they don't want to know about numbers and and, and they don't know what 500 to 1,000 calories looks like sometimes. But if you're like, hey, this is your plate that you need at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and their weight's going up a half a pound to a pound and a half because they're a weight gain guy, so much simpler and easy to to relate and comprehend over to then just throwing like, you need to do this. And then just they're on an island they don't know what to do.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I use the um, gas tank reference a lot. With my athletes when they feel hunger you know that means you're on e so can you go anywhere until you're past e no right so when you feel hunger that means you're on e so you're replenishing just to get to your base point again so you're not eating for the future so using that metaphor has been really helpful i think for them
0: yeah the car references are, are awesome i'll i'll use that and i'll say like let's say you're driving from georgia to new york what are you gonna have to stop to do Get gas or fuel. Okay. Then think about your, you know, let's say 16 hours of your day or 12 12 to 16 hours of your day as as a gas tank. Do you think you're probably going to run out of fuel or get low at some time during your day? And just making them like answer the question themselves, say it and think it. So that that way, now they're in the position where it's like it's coming from them and it's not just coming from me. And then hopefully, we're now putting some ownership on getting them to think about their own internal self instead of someone externally just saying what they need to do all the time.
1: Absolutely. Giving them ownership of anything is great.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So just to wrap up kind of one last question I have for you is, you know, maybe who are some people in the field that maybe one or two people specifically that you look up to that you feel, um, you know, a dietitian should reach out to contact. That would be a huge benefit just to get some, some base level information on, on sports nutrition, what to do in the field, maybe it's specifically um, to become a performance chef. Who are those one or two people for you?
1: Uh, for me, when it comes to dietitian uh, information, it's gotta be the OG Dave Ellis. You know, he's my mentor and uh, super great at connecting you to either something local or giving you the next steps of what you should be doing based on what you are looking to do with your future. Um, I mean, and of course he made it possible for all of us to do that. On yeah. the culinary side, I got to go with AZ Anthony Zamora because he is probably at the top of our field and performance chefs, uh, doing what he's doing at the Utah jazz. So, uh, super great options there, um, to check in between of those two.
0: Yeah. I was, I was, uh, telling Samantha's uh, story earlier. I was in undergrad at Buffalo state sitting at Wegmans parking lot. And I can still remember I had a 20, 30 minute conversation with Dave. I don't know if he remembers or not. He probably doesn't cause he has a million conversations, but, uh, I can still remember him giving some, me some quick advice, like when I was at the very cusp of my career, trying to figure out what sports nutrition was and like, how does this path even kind of start? So I know he's definitely touched a lot of people, um, you know, within sports nutrition to help them out in their career. And then, you know, Anthony, right? Like from 2018, to just being him and one other person. And now, you know, he's at a higher position now. He's got two directors, one for culinary, one for nutrition. You know, I think he has four to six staff or something like that underneath those two individuals, you know, for, for 16 guys, you know, plus probably also staff and stuff like that. But it's just crazy to think about he's been able to in the last five years really blossom and grow that out and, and show that organization how important it is. And they have vice versa then given him the support and resources he needs to be able to do that. Um, which just shows, you know, with the proper effort and, and dedication to the field on either side, you can make whatever you want happen. It's just going to come down to how, how hard you want to push to get to that point. And if you're communicating well enough and building relationships with the people to get to that point. hundred um, percent. But uh, Samantha, really appreciate you having you on. Um, anyone who wants to contact or communicate with her, um, all of her contact information will be in the bio. Um, all of my contact information will be there as well. And my Linktree link with all my digital links um, if you could like, and share this and spread the word, again, I'm trying to bring out as many different types of practitioners as possible. Um, dietitians, chefs, sports psychologists, athletic trainers, physical therapists, um, you know, as many people that essentially would, uh, support the athlete, right? Cause at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. We're here to support the athlete, help them out, help them learn skills and behaviors and develop patterns that are going to make them successful in their sports. Um, not only while they're playing their sports, um, but if they get the chance to play at the next level, or just in, in general life, right, we're just trying to make people better. And and hopefully, you know, we can be that one, one piece of the puzzle to be able to do that um, for all the athletes that are able to kind of cross our paths. But again, Sam, thank you for, for coming on and really appreciate your time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Sean. Have a great day.
0: You too.